This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at TrevorJamesFlutes.com. Hello there, and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. Have you ever dreamed of winning a Grammy? I must admit, with my limited talent and ability, I haven't. But as it's the musical equivalent of the Oscar, I've always wanted to know what the secret to winning one was. And later in this podcast, I'm having a chat with a winner. But before then, just a quick update on all your lovely emails with suggestions for future podcasts. Thank you so much, and many of your ideas will be incorporating in the coming season. I'm now, and forgive me on this one, after another favour from you lovely people, and this is to do with our podcast guests. Looking back through 2020, we had some wonderful interviews with flute players such as Sir James and Jeannie Galway, Jasmine Choi, Paul Edmund Davis, amongst many, many others. And I also managed to get one with celebrity Hollywood fitness guru and flute player Ridge Davis. So, dear podcast listeners, who would you like to hear in 2021? We are looking for creative suggestions and they don't necessarily have to be flute players. Just somebody who you feel can add something to the flute playing community. It may be a dietitian, a psychologist, fitness trainer, orchestral player, or really anybody. So simply send in your suggestions to flutepodcasts at gmail.com or you can DM me at flute on Twitter and at TJ Flutes on Instagram. Alternatively, you can message Claire at Claire Flute on Twitter and Instagram. So as I mentioned earlier, this week I have a real-life winner of an Emmy and Grammy on Talking Flutes Extra, and a couple of days ago I managed to catch up with my old friend Dr. Jose Valentino via Zoom from his home in Florida. Strangely, the input on my mixing desk decided to play up during the first few minutes of the recording, so I have used the Zoom audio for this. But you'll certainly hear a change in sound when it decided to work properly. Okay, well, hands up. The actual real real reason why I'm using the Zoom link is because I have a nine-month-old rehomed Bedlington Terrier called Mouse who decided to walk past at the same time as I was recording the opening segment of a conversation with Jose and inadvertently trod on a lead which went to my mixing desk. So Mouse is the reason why the... Audio is taken from Zoom, but as I said, you'll certainly know when I realised this and managed to put the lead back in. I started our conversation with Jose by asking him where this all started. Uh, no, my background is, you know, I come from a family of musicians, educators, medical professionals, and, uh, and you know, with my parents being all three in one. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, constant dialogue with an array of vocational uh, professionals inside and outside of my family, providing invaluable perspective for how, what, when, where, who, and why uh, to communicate uh, to an audience about my products and services. You know, that, that, that 
is I think a core of how I became uh, more established uh, in the trajectory that that uh, I've taken as a music entrepreneur. I think um, also an exposure to many cultural expressions, culture not being defined solely in, as to uh, you, you know ethno culture, um, like you know what roots um, in the human genome are you from? But I'm talking about cultures in terms of ways of life, ways of practice, belief systems, you know, um, that, that uh, a cohort of people identify with. So exposures to many culture expressions and early experiences in communicating my ideas, my heart's desires and artistic expressions to wide demographics through gigging as well. You know, my father um, a, was a nurse by day and a musician by night. And so he had a band and I was part of his band and that was, that fostered my uh, development as an artist, but also as a communicator. Um, and, you know, this provided me also with the courage and tenacity to employ, uh, you know, this principle of entropy, if you will, uh, where I, I think about taking one idea and then just expanding and expanding and finding ways to just stick to that mission. But then it just uh, continues to create new branches. And before, next thing you know, it just explodes into this, uh, not in the chaos in a bad way, but almost like in a good way, a, a good functional chaos. <laughs> That's why I say entropy, <laughs> just like opportunities everywhere. And, and now it's just a matter, a, a matter of time managing and, and making the right choices and knowing what doors to take and what not to. But, you know, I would say um, in regards to your question, a third component is that my greatest compensation is the ability and opportunity to communicate and relate with people of all walks of life. You know, my my talents and passions and dedication towards expressing myself through music and developing, you know, new products and services through uh, even through Trevor James uh, that will meet people's needs. And that's where you and I really um, come in together. You know, we, we're concerned with emotion, the, the emotional, the psychological, the sociological, the spiritual, and, and other variables, the, the pedagogical needs of um, the music community. And, and I think you know, the relationship between us at a professional level with the flute community, which is for so many reasons why you and I, that mutual need has allowed us to <clears throat> come up with um, newfangled innovations with, um, you know, the um, the happy flutist and the different workshops and different projects that, you know, we continue to work on. And so developing people's identity purposes and roles, and I've talked about that in, in a previous podcast, uh, they, they serve as an impetus for how I go with my journey, my career as a musician. So um, from a chronological roadmap of what I've done, um, Maintaining academic studies and industry experience in music simultaneously has always been vital for me. Um, you know, constantly releasing a quantity of products, you know, videos, <laughs> albums, singles, uh, these little posts that I make on Instagram that we would constitute as micro content or macro content. And but while at the same time curating the quality of those released products that I'm defining products not in the business sense, but in the mission sense. You know, a product is your mission packaged in a way that is going to be palatable to the audience and always aim for authenticity. 
So, you know, um, that, that has been a core of my development. So there you go. That's a little short answer. <laughs> what was the first instrument that was put in your hands, Jose? The first instrument that was put in my hands was the flute. I was seven years old when my father uh, uh, introduced me to uh, a Puerto Rican flutist named Nestor Torres. And uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess my dad saw him perform, uh, I think, on national television in the Capitol or, or somewhere like that in, in the USA. I think it was in the Capitol, he said, and um, if I'm not mistaken, but, you know, was floored with his ability to play. And of course, keep in mind that my dad uh, is also a musician beyond working in the medical profession. And, you know, he's just a really outstanding musician. Um, self-taught, you know, as, as most outstanding musicians are, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but, um, you know, so at seven years old, I was exposed to the music of Nestor Torres and his album called uh, Flight of the Phoenix uh, rocked my world. Um, not just his playing, but also the musicians that he had on that project, which I still admire and follow. And, and many of them have respective albums themselves. Uh, and so uh, it was, uh, I was seven years old and I was in Puerto Rico in um, the Christmas time and uh, they invested in a flute. My parents invested in a flute for me. Wow. And uh, I remember on Christmas evening, I um, got the gift. I opened it up. It yeah. was a beginner, uh, sea head joint, close hole, and they taught me how to put it together. And I just had a natural inclination to just put my fingers in all the right places. And I think the first note that I ever played was an A. And I it played, it sounded just like that, you know, kind of on the airy side. And then I did this. And, and, and well, that was an open hole. So I gotta, so I, I I made music from the moment that I touched it. So I think there was a, you know, a phenomenological, perhaps um, spiritual, uh, you know, manifestation that occurred there. Um, and that was the beginning of my journey. So the flute is the first instrument. You know, my dad told me, uh, master one instrument first, master the flute. And then once you have mastered the instrument, go and pick up another one. Everything else will become easier for you. But, you know, I also grew up listening to my dad play the bass and he was, you know, we would do rehearsals. Imagine doing weekly rehearsals uh, on a school evening, you know, I would have to do my homework and then I was so excited to go and, and do these rehearsals with my father um, in our house or maybe in, in, an, in uh, the drummer's church and we would have all this equipment and then we get to, I literally like he facilitated an amazing group of musicians and he was basically, you know, the MD, the manager, because of course I was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, I, he didn't want them to take advantage of me. Uh, so he always made sure that I was taken care of and uh, facilitated the rehearsals, but it was amazing because these, they wanted to play the music that I wanted to play, which was uh, when, when you think about the, you know, what I, what we were pre preparing, we were a cover band, but we weren't covering just regular music. We were covering Michael Brecker. We were covering 
uh, Chick Corea. We were covering these people, and 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 now, and now I look back and I think, look at the photos, and I think about the marketability of these things. It's like, wow, no wonder we had so much exposure. Like you had at the time, a skinny, very good-looking, curly-haired. <laughs> And now I just gave myself a buzz cut. A curly-haired, young flute player, you know, Latino heat flute player who came out with an album called Flute on Fire. So, I mean, what more marketability do you need, right? You know, just put on that kid in display and just watch him rip. You know, I mean, it, it, there, there are a couple of videos that I can find on the internet uh, of me in that era. And it's just like, you. I still watch those videos from time to time and it just go, how did that even happen? It was a miracle, but I think it's, you know, the, um, the, the, the amazing love of, of a father, you know, who, who helped facilitate that. And so through the guidance of my father, um, I decided to pick up the flute first, no questions asked. And then um, later in uh, the 11th grade, I picked up the saxophone. And then in my freshman year of college, I had to take keyboard skills. So I started learning about the keyboard and I took up the bass because I said, okay, I have enough musicianship skills to um, take up an instrument that would allow me to not be in the forefront, but I wanted to be learn what it takes to be a supportive role and how to listen to everyone else to help the lead musician shine. Uh, and I had a bass there. I mean, of course my dad taught me. Um, it would, it, it, it even learning the bass was an amazing journey itself because my natural inclination was to play in the high register, which is more soloistic, uh, you know, vocal range. And I had to learn how to be more of an actual bass player and it took me years to do that. So that's my journey for the second question. Now I've had the privilege of meeting your father and he says a lot with his eyes, not necessarily with his words. He sits and he looks. Was that always the same with you? In other words, could you tell whether your father, as you were growing up, whether he was approving of your development just by <clears throat> the way he looked? Uh, my dad, he is more open and, and straightforward and vocal with me. I think when you saw him, he was just eyeing you. He was he was testing you. He was observing your ways. He wanted to see if you were the real deal or not. And you certainly passed the test with flying colors. You know, I mean, all he did was rave about you afterwards, after the, the, the meetings. Well, he, he was a, he's a lovely man, a really lovely man. And well, so is the rest of your folks, actually. So did you take to saxophone? We well, obviously did because you're an absolutely stunning sax player. You're not the usual doubler. In other words, when you go from saxophone to the flute, you can turn on that sexy Hubert Law's airy, jazzy sound, or you can go classical with that beautiful vibrato, or you can go bark with actually no vibrato, just with a hollow wooden sound. There's not many people that can do that, that can cross over and go into the various professional genres that you can within that instrumental uh, range. How have you managed to sort of do that? Because for a sax player, your chops, you're using your embouchure in a very different way. Yeah. It, 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 the way I do that is actually through a principle that I've kind of created myself. I call it the five C's. <laughs> <laughs> Typically and it, five, yeah. Yeah, right. And, 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 it, and this is actually really cool because it's not just the five C's, but... Uh, 
the five C's have an adjective attached to it and for which each of them um, contain the letter V at the beginning. So it's the five C's and five B's. And, uh, there you go, there's a play on words, by the way, CV, mm -hmm. curriculum vitae, life's work, how do you do that? Um, no, no, I, I, the, I, I would like to say as a precursor to the five C's that I'll explain a little bit further, um, you know, I am somebody who really employs the imagination and aim to do it to the full capacity of the imagination. I uh, have never let go of my ability or desire to want to refer to my imagination as the preeminent source of um, creativity. And in a past uh, podcast, we've talked about uh, four stages to creativity that I've taken from a professor emeritus, uh, and he's allowed me to just continue expanding on it, uh, John Kratis, which is exploration, improvisation, composition and creative performance or delivery. And so uh, I, I really employ the imagination to its full capacity. I refer to uh, episodic memories. I love cognitive translation. Uh, the idea of translating properties of, <clears throat> of uh, something that is not musical into musical meaning. And that allows me to get into character you see, because the, 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 we're talking about the same thing that is used in martial arts, it's used in, in hypnosis, it's used in uh, the teaching of dance, in, in teaching of theater and, and acting. You know, they might have different names, but they, uh, there are a lot of similarities. And I actually discussed and went really deep in that in, in my dissertation. Um, but, you know, a recommendation for how to go about doing that is I maintain these five principles and that's first consistency is vital. And so how we approach life, how we approach um, observation. I, I, have a, I have another quote that I, I like to live by that I through a conversation with a dear friend, I came up with, I said, life is a study. Life is a study. So never stop learning, never stop studying. So learning could be like you're open and somebody can teach you information. You just, you know, learning comes when you're open. But if you approach life as a study, then it's not just you're open to receiving, it's you're investigating, right? And so you have to embrace an investigative spirit. And if you do that consistently, uh, it will bring forth life, hence forth the word vital, vitality, vida which translates to life. So consistency is vital. A second thing that I would say is communication is vibrant, right? And you have to think about vibrancy, vibration. I mean, the very core essence of what sustains the universe together. You know, there's different forms of communication that are happening at multiple levels. And I think when you approach your instrument and your music making in such a way with the intent of communicating uh, to other people, your desire, your heart, your story, your message, your observation, your struggles, you know, when you want to communicate truth, I think it helps a community of listeners become more vibrant. Therefore, there is life. You know what I'm saying? I think creativity is vivacious. Uh, that's the third one. Creativity is vivacious. And, you know, we are creatures. We are creative you know, uh, as a man of faith, I believe that there was a creator uh, who created 
us. And so, you know, uh, at the core, uh, I have a philosophical disposition that we are all innately creative and it's important for us to activate that and to put the energizer bunny into that creativity. And I just mentioned the four stages of creativity, meaning don't be afraid. I think, uh, uh, you know, to, to explore first, don't be afraid to explore first. I think to be creative is, um, it, it, it requires you to, to have courage to be creative because there's so many things in life that are impinging our ability to exude creativity. So uh, start with exploration, meaning just try to do things without any agenda. Once you have that, uh, things that you like to explore more, now you've entered into the stage of improvisation. Document that, now you have a composition and then how you uh, deliver it to the world, well, there you go, that's creative uh, performance or delivery. I think uh, two more essential things is community. Community is, vi is also vibrant. So um, community is, uh, is so important because it's, it's the difference between the aim of trying to do a performance uh, to, in, in announcing a performance to bring people to come and see you versus announcing a performance uh, so that it's a gathering so that you can actually share with people. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm a person that while I've performed in many stages, I personally detest stages. I understand their function, but I'd rather be on the same platform, same level as them when I perform and when I communicate. Um, so I always try to bring that experience. And then I think from a very practical and technological point, uh, I like performing with a wireless microphone because it allows me to be more in person and read the body language. Um, and then last is content. I think uh, content needs to be voracious. You know, we, we need to be able to document uh, what we are doing. And now in this digital age, it's really fascinating how we can actually, we have many resources to be able to create content and to the point where now you can even select on your Instagram, are you a content creator? But, you know, <laughs> I think about if you are going to create content you also need to do it with um, an incentive of making people content, Ugh. you see? And so content needs to be voracious. Now that I think about it, I need one different word for, uh, for, for community. I'm gonna say community needs to be vivacious, but that creativity needs to be valiant. There you go, that's gonna be my V word because you need to have courage in order to engage and activate creativity. So the five C's to your answer of how is it that I can just switch from the saxophone to the flutes and maintain, um, you know, uh, uh, a polymath uh, type of um, presence when I play these instruments. I think we need to embrace and constantly keeping our mind. It's not that I'm going to execute all this all the time, but you know, making sure that consistency is vital, that communication is vibrant, that creativity is valiant, that community is um, <clears throat> vivacious and that content is voracious. That's the answer to your third question. You're a character actor, aren't you? You play in character. I'm playing in character right now, totally. <laughs> with, Yo! Yeah, with your normal voice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what it is, God? 
Oh, man. That, that's true, though, because you're always in character when you have an instrument in your hand. Because when you see you playing the bass, you are very different and you look very different to when you're playing the flute. But you wear so many hats when you play the flute. You, you put something yeah. up the other day on social media where you were just letting rip. You're on fire. And the whole body was, it was on fire. And then you put something else up and it's really sweet and delicate and gentle. And you sort of forget Jose's behind it. So you're very much a character actor. Yeah, but you know, the, here, okay. So now let me talk to you without the script, without the, without the, the professor hat. You know, I know I just, I just uh, spewed a whole bunch of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hopefully the blah, blah, blah is, is helpful for the listeners here. But, you know, it's very easy. I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm glad that you mentioned it. It's very easy to, to say that, you know, as artists, we get into character. Um, but I like the artists that approach their craft um, from the angle of recalling aspects of who they are, especially through episodic memory, so that when they activate that moment and maybe put it in a different scenario, it's there's a level of authenticity there. Yes, absolutely. So as opposed to just completely mimicking, you know, uh, uh, a, I mean, the word hypocrite was associated with the art of acting originally, you know, um, now we understand what hypocrite is, but it's not being fake. I think, you know, there's so much more to who we are and the life that we, um, that, that, that we engage in, that there are moments in which you are going to see another side of an artist that perhaps is less celebrated. Um, because uh, quite frankly, as an independent, as a music entrepreneur, you, you have to take your product and your service and you're also dealing with things, especially like before you can galvanize a team, an army of people and build, uh, you know, a business or a nonprofit or a big corporation of people that are working on your behalf, you have to find ways to do it yourself. And so, you know, if I started off with playing um, heartfelt lament music, I don't know that I would have gotten the traction and the scalability that I have now. Whereas, you know, the, what people are fascinated with is another attribute of, of my playing, um, which tends to lean more on however you want to describe it, you know, uh, vivacious or side of things. So, you know, I, I mean, the, if, if, if anybody goes to the happyfluidist.com and, and listens to my compositions there, I mean, that is some of the most honest uh, documentation diary if you will of what of of stuff that i lived in that time that i created that music can i just talk which, about some of those tracks actually jose yeah. because i've been using some of those tracks in my meditation mindfulness workshops and the reason is is that i actually didn't realize the depth of complexity within each of those compositions because when we listen to music most often we listen listen as the whole we listen to it all in the round but when you're being very mindful in a medita meditation um, situation, you can flick between lines. So you can take a flute line or you can take a bass line or you can take another line. 
And then when you listen to some of your compositions, there's lines within lines that I didn't realise existed. So when you actually composed that music and it came over for the project, it was beautiful. But it's only in the last six to nine months where I've been using it as, as a meditation, following one line and then suddenly think, oh, I just heard something I never heard before. There's voices, there's vocal parts I'd never heard before. Um, so the complexity of the way we listen and the way we regard musicians and music is, it's immense. So, yeah, I would just like to take my hat off to well, these compositions. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, uh, I will say this. Uh, I crack myself up sometimes. I think it's healthy to do that, by the way. I, um, I, I say this jokingly, but I also say this truthfully. I mean... I also knew who I was making this for. It's a man that I have immense respect for. And I wasn't going to give you uh, something that was a last minute product. I put my heart and soul into it, especially since I knew that uh, what this mission was and, and you know, the, the other gentleman who was behind this initiative, the one who really launched and oversaw this initiative, I was just happy to help. So I wanted to give my best to you. And um, you know, without needing to tell you the depths of complexity. I mean, I just said, you know, wrote you an email. I said, I hope you enjoyed it, wrote it from the, created it from the heart. And uh, I just sent you the links to the composition. And, you know, um, now years later, you're discovering other things that yeah. I added to it. And, and, um, and, and that's because I was very mindful uh, of this mindfulness project, you know? And, 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 I, and by the way, I'm glad that you brought that up because I like to compose in such a way where every instrument, I think of it not as an, not, not only as an instrument, but the player behind the instrument. In this case, I performed all the, the, the music, but sometimes I perform in such a way that it represents, I'm, I'm actually almost like a liaison of a musician that accompanied me. And I'm learning from these experiences from that person and then, and then that's in those moments it might not be my life experience so i take on a different approach to the acting if you will the getting in character if you will but there's still level of authenticity because i i experienced that musician and 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 can relate to that life story but then it translates into their playing and it's you know the beauty of music especially when it's instrumental is that you can interpret um, the music as a whole to convey a certain thing, but there's depth in every role of uh, the the instrumentation and, and the quote unquote, the players that are creating this collective piece. Because every piece of music that I did for that project, as I tried to do with all projects, but especially on this one, I wanted there to have a feeling of unity. So that when you are putting yourself in a trance of mindfulness, that I didn't want somebody to feel alone and mindful in an, uh, in an alone world. I want them to listen to it and feel like people are there and that they can actually listen, they can all relate. So that when they engage in meditation, when they engage in, in, in mindfulness practice, they don't feel alone because there's gonna be listeners there that are, you know, uh, as we all, um, you know, face probably more frequently than not in, in uh, battles of mental health, you know what I mean? Um, it's important for me that the product itself um, exudes 
a feeling of community, even when you're listening to it by yourself, you know, because it's in community, I think that, and fellowship that we can experience hope because when we feel isolated, that's when we don't feel hope. So, you know, uh, there's also, I feel uh, a sense of love uh, and, and the various forms of love that are reflected in, in, in that music itself, because you think about uh, the Greek words of love, uh, you know, agape, uh, philios, eros, you know, I, as, as a extremely happy married man, uh, I, I, you know, recalled moments of, of just pure bliss and beauty with my wife and I played those moments, you know, whether it was on the flute or the synth pad or the percussion, you know, so all of these things, I, I try to package the best of life in these meditations, you know, and then of course there were moments that were sad, moments where it was like yearning and calling, which, you know, is also another thing, right? I mean, you know, life throws us some really hard bricks sometimes. And it's just like, my gosh, we, we, we feel like we're in a pit and we just, you know, need to rescue or we, we need rescuing. And, you know, it seems like we're always looking up uh, for somebody to rescue us. And so, you know, I exuded those things. Those are realities. Those are truths that we live with. But, you know, I think as you listen to the music, even in those pieces that are perhaps um, speaking about uh, more of the arduous sides of life, even at the end of the music, I, I would hope that there is a sense of hope that they listen that they can identify when listening in each and every piece yeah it may start off thoughtful but there's always a happy ending to each piece um and it's what was interesting about is that it came over there's a sort of a simplicity because it's very easy to listen to and meditate to there's nothing harder than trying to meditate to complexity and yet you cleverly put complexity into the composition so much so that I'm still finding areas that I haven't heard before. I'm actually doing a podcast on this in a couple of weeks' time where I'm actually going to get people to be very mindful of the lines within some of your pieces because we don't listen to music properly. We listen to it in the whole. And that's great, but sometimes we miss some of the big, big parts. Absolutely. And uh, you, you reminded me of a quote that Dave Valentine, when he was alive, something that he told me... Uh, when uh, we were rehearsing in my house um, one time, he said, simplicity is easy, complication is simple. No, I'm sorry, I messed up. Simplicity is complicated. Yeah. Complication is simple, is what he told me. We talked about that and, and uh, you know, Dave, his music, uh, specifically these albums, uh, I feel like, you know, these albums, Primitive Passions, um, Tropic Heat, um, I think one called Portrait, uh, you know, and, and, and Sunflower, these albums, uh, I think, were just outstanding um, demonstrations of his ability to do solos that perhaps diatonically you know, uh, talking about music theory, uh, diatonically, it, it might seem simple from a harmonic or melodic standpoint, but 
there was so much depth, especially with the rhythm. The rhythm, his rhythmic uh, prowess was something that was really complex, but he had an ability to package it in such a way that it was not only complex for, you know, for anyone to be able to do a, a thesis on if they wanted to, on his way of improvising, but it was also uh, consumable to the mass consumers, which made him very popular. Um, in the way he improvised. And so in a similar fashion, you're talking about my role as a composer, um, you, you know, and specifically with these pieces. And I think, uh, you know, that was something that I really thought about, which is, you know, at the end of the day, we can't distract the listener from the, in, uh, from the main intention of what this music serves. But in order for it to um, be long lasting, you know, that meditational experience and the benefits from that meditational experience. I think the music, which is the stimuli, needs to have substance and depth. And so, uh, yes, there, there's a lot more to these compositions as there are to many compositions um, by many composers. So that segues us really nicely in to the one piece. The one piece that I think, well, it certainly surprised me when I heard it. The one piece that you won the Latin Grammy for, because I'd never ever thought that you'd be into the the world of contemporary sort of fusiony type composition and performance, and I think probably you surprised a lot of people on the the people the voting the voting people because it's a the Grammy is you don't just win from a Grammy from a, a small number of people voting on a panel you know it is a big. Thousands of, of voting members. Yeah. yeah. So to be a voting member itself, uh, to become one, you have to be curated and it's an application and they have committees that will evaluate your work and deem you to be a voting member or just remain you as an associate member, you know, so. Yeah. So I was watching, I was watching the Latin Grammys and I saw you and the, your joint composer, your joint, yeah. when you sat, it was in your house or his? Uh, it was actually in his uh, recording studio, El Music. Oh, was it? Ah, right. And of course you won. But anyone that's had the privilege of listening to this will know probably why. But yet, where did this start? Because I said that you went, you, 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 everyone knows you can play, that you are just a brilliant musician. You can turn your hand at anything. But I hadn't realized that you could go this left field. <laughs> so how did this little nugget start? Because to win a Grammy with a composition and as a performer, I mean, that is the musical version of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So where did that start? What did, where did that whole piece begin?
a composition like that just doesn't yeah. start. It has to start with a dot. It has to start with sure. a note, with a thought. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay, so you, you asked several questions, uh, three overarching questions, like where did this come from? Like specifically, how did I decide to go left field in this direction that was surprising? Um, you made a statement that I like to respond to, which is like, of course you won. Uh, and this <laughs> one is where did it come from with the dots? you know, the, the creative process of composing this piece. So I would like to um, first, before I respond to those three uh, points, I'd like to say that um, my dear friend, Carlos Fernando Lopez, you know, um, is, uh, I, I, I admire and respect so much. I think he's an incredible genius of a musician. I think he compliments me in ways that are, uh, very meaningful and, and, and important because what I bring to the table is very different than what he brings. But you know his work is very outstanding in many ways, and and uh, you know I think the Academy recognizes that as well, uh, since he won uh, also for his work uh, for best singer songwriter album. So he actually won a second one um, on that night as well. And we go back uh, the University of Miami where we both studied at that time. He was doing his bachelor's in media writing composition. And I was completing my master of music in instrumental performance, which is essentially, it is the way they call the classical flute. Um, you know, so uh, the, the, the classical performance degree, they call it instrumental performance over there at the University of Miami. So, um, you know, it, but it, why did I go left field? I think I didn't go left or right. I just went back in time. I went back to the foundations and, you know, Dr. Kim McCormick is my professor of flute for a cumulative 21 years. When you think about it, I took a two year break and went to University of Miami. But when I did my PhD uh, in music education, uh, I completed electives or what we call doctoral cognates uh, or doctoral minors um, in uh, applied lesson pedagogy, which I took classes with her, and also uh, flute performance, which I took classes with her. So uh, a cumulative 18 credits with my teacher who has taught me since the age of eight. You see what I'm saying? And her focus before she became a professor of flute, uh, emeritus professor of flute, was always contemporary classical compositions and premiering it. She's not a composer, but uh, her line of work and her albums that you can check out actually on Spotify, uh, the um, the McCormick duo uh, is what it's called because she's Kim McCormick and her husband is the uh, recently retired this year percussion emeritus per percussion professor as well, uh, Robert McCormick. So if you want to hear something that is kind of scary in, in, in the best sense of the word, like you want to hear somebody that the reason why I sound the way I sound, I get, I, I get baffled sometimes when I listen to that music because it sounds like me. But it's not that she sounds like me, it's that I sound like her. <laughs> I've just employed, I've studying with her, I sound like her, but I've employed her her sound in, in other styles of music. But I grew up in taking lessons with her at her house, and she exposed me to different kinds of contemporary classical music. And so it is a, a part of yet another branch of what makes up um, my uh, musical interests. I just never pursued it because um, I, there, there were no gigs for me in that area. 
I don't know that there's that many gigs for many contemporary classical musicians uh, to begin with, unfortunately. Uh, you know, it kind of remains a, a niche thing in, in higher education. Um, but it, nevertheless, I think it's beautiful. It's exploratory and uh, the role of composers uh, in society throughout history has always been to provoke and to, um, you, you know, oftentimes to create works that protest, that shed light to what's happening in our society. Hence the word, uh, the name Sacre, um, <clears throat> which was, um, you know, proposed by Carlos Fernando Lopez. Um, and I, what I did is I expanded on the meaning of what this piece could be to make it relevant to the, the issues that we're facing, you know, uh, different social injustices uh, in America, but also in the world. Um, and, uh, and, and not just, you know, um, human social justice, but also the social injustices that we need to draw attention and, and, and advocate and protect, such as, you know, ecological activism you know, uh, as well. And, and it, it basically, Sacre uh, prose, uh, is intended to pose a question uh, to people, which is what do you value sacred? Which is why at the very end of the piece ends um, with, a, you know, a, a dissonant chord on the piano and a little sound effect, which actually uh, the way you do it is, right? Yeah. So, um, it's that effect that I don't even know how to describe um, in this podcast. <laughs> you, you kind of put your tongue in the hole and then just kind of. <laughs> it's like tongue slapping. It's like tongue tongue slapping, isn't it? It's it's French kissing the flute. That's what it is. So you know, and then and so you made another statement, which I I I know the intent of it, but uh, and it was very kind. You know, of course you won, but the truth is we weren't even sure. We, we were baffled by um, uh, uh, by the fact that it was even nominated and and that it even won because never did we compose this piece together for that intent you know and there are some works that we do with the intention in, in the very back corners mm. of our mind that this would be good to consider you know but we literally just engaged in creative music making together and you know I think the uh, and, and this is, for me, um, one of the most important awards, not only because it is the highest award in music, period, but it, uh, it, from, a, from a standpoint of international preeminent peer-reviewed uh, you know, award, but it is a miracle in itself because it taught us just the value of not caring, not even trying to pursue it. And there's, not, there's nothing wrong with, you know, pursuing it with that intention in mind, because, hey, as again, the independent entrepreneurial side of us says, you know, we also need to find ways to, you know, expand our marketability and, and our and spread our voice so that we can obtain opportunities. But, you know, this was a result of just pure brotherly love. And it was celebrated and it and, it, and, and that pure love resonated and in our mission resonated with people that it, it, it just, it did it by itself. But the, the, reso the, the resonation for me, I heard it first without knowing the narrative. And the key to unlock this was the story. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that really, when I went back to listen to it again, when I knew, yeah, the narrative, the story behind the composition, I heard it very differently than when I first heard it. Yeah. And that's the mistake I think contemporary composers make, is that they'll come up with this wonderful composition with dots and notes and whistles and whizzes and air and something, call it X, but not bring the audience into the meaning, the pure meaning of the whole. And when I read your notes about it, everything talking unlocked, flutes it was and talking like flutes the, extra. The key Our podcast the productions the by the Trevor down, James Flute Company. And I understood it. For more information, I would imagine Trevor James Flutes of the Grammy, the, the Grammy, um, the, well, the people that vote for Gra- the Grammys probably understood the same thing. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when when it got nominated to our surprise at that level, we, we, we switched hats and we said, OK, let's let's be strategic now. This is an initiative. Let's actually strategize. And, you know, I believe me, I mean, uh, for me, uh, one of the greatest, uh, you know, marketers and strategic initiative people that I know is you. And so in the back of my head, I was thinking the whole time, <laughs> what are the things that I can do? Uh, <laughs> what are things that I can do to, um, you know, to, to that, that, that John Paul would tell me to how to market this in such a way that doesn't come across arrogantly. Uh, but, you know, because you, you can, it's easy to post stuff and then just kind of say, I'm nominated, I'm nominated. But I, I made sure that I included the narrative and that I invited people along this journey and for them to be able to share their experience. What do they value sacred, you know? And, and they, they resonated with that message. So, you know, um, it, I'm just really grateful for that. And, and, and you know, I, I wrote the narrative and then we, we copy paste the same narrative and we wrote it in English and in Spanish in our respective websites. We um, made uh, the, we, you know, Carlos uh, hired a visual artist to interpret the piece and one simple concept of an eternal circle, you know, uh, with different colors and, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of represent uh, feelings and states of life too. And then I recommended that the piece would actually be made available in the form of uh, notation in the video. And, you know, we were having conversations, why? And then I, I just said, you know, something about um, just giving it as a gift for the community is going to also not just show a spirit of generosity, which I, I teach to my students that generosity is a principle of entrepreneurship. I define it as the keys uh, of entrepreneurship, uh, you know, but also uh, having the notation available, I think inspired a community of those voting members, especially that are musicians. I don't know that anybody else actually put the, the you know, put the video out there in composition for us to follow as well, you know, and something about looking and reading the contour and seeing the space and the interplay, it's almost cartoonish, yeah. you know what I mean? That also conveyed the story, not just the notes. And so, we were humbled by the simple fact that our competitors are outstanding yeah. competition. One thing is to win a Grammy and and you know feel like you really have a real shot. <laughs> Carlos and I felt re- immensely humbled because we know our areas, our other areas of perhaps greater strength, you know. But it was great to obviously receive this validation. But I mean, just to let you know, part of the competition we had Jose Serrevier, 
who is an 80-year-old composer who has won the Grammy Award in classical albums and composition eight times and has been nominated <laughs> 32 times. We have Ricardo Lorenz, who is a full professor yep. and the chair of composition at Michigan State University. Okay, we had Eddie Mora, who is the founder of the School of Music and Research. It's it's like it's combined. It's called the School of Music and Research at the University of Costa Rica, and is the head of the department. I I I don't know. I'm last I heard, I think he was even the head of a whole school. And um, then we had uh, Joan Magrain, who is a Spaniard, who was a recipient of the Queen Sophia Composition Award. So. You know, you, you had some real people there. And then you had little Jose Valentino, beatbox flutist, and Carlos Fernando Lopez, who's this eminent pop music producer for, who's won Grammys for Ricky Martin and, and other names. And, and you know, it, but it was really cool because I think, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't a facade that we were doing. It was just expressing truthfully. And we had this conversation. We said, you know what, not only do we want to express this, but we want to release this. And, and we do want to make a statement that there's more to us than just what people perceive. Because if we can make that statement, hopefully we can encourage others to um, be bold enough to express other attributes of who they are. And you did. And you won. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is you've been back in, well, you've been in Florida now for 12 months. I've uh, been back in Florida for a year and a half. Year and a half. You've changed as a musician, haven't you? There's something that oh, coming immensely. back that has really, it's, it's really changed you. Um, obviously, your, you, your university has really welcomed you because there's only one Jose Valentino on this, in this world. And I... Jose doesn't come quietly. As soon as the doors open, people know Jose's there. Yeah, it, it takes, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful, you know, for uh, the opportunity to come back to Florida. You know, I, I learned immense lessons. I still value um, some dear friends that I have, uh, that, that, that I, ha you know, established over there in uh, good old Cleveland, Tennessee. But, um, what it was like his cat? No, it's, it's my new dog. <laughs> oh, okay. It's my new dog, Mouse, and it's uh, oh, awesome! <laughs> you have a dog called Mouse. It's a re a rehome Bedlington Terrier. Yeah, he's, my daughter called him Mouse. Yeah, it's oh, called, that's sorry, awesome. called her Mouse. Okay, but yeah, you know, I'm grateful to be back in Florida, um, and you know, uh, to be to 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 be working in an institution that thinks big and, and dreams bigger, you know, and, and it's, it's reflected in every area of, uh, you know, the, the departments, the schools, the research, the innovations. I mean, speaking of innovation, they were ranked as a university, uh, number one for innovation impact, meaning their innovations that they come up with, the assessment is the level of impact, the quality of impact and the quantity of impact that um, research and creative activity is done at the university and you know i got a great team uh so i'm just happy also to be back in a you know near my parents and uh, my in-laws and um you're happy you know, the weather you're much weather's happier. nice yeah 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 and you've also and it's award after award after award but university has just given you a very rare award haven't they i know they it's the um 
2021 uh, University of South Florida Outstanding Young Alumni Award, which I will be the 46th person out of 100,000 currently living um, uh, alumni who are 35 and younger. So 46 out of 100,000. It's kind of crazy. I, I don't know how that happened, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that is actually uh, be beyond uh, the Grammy. I think, believe it or not, I think that one is one of the most important ones as well. Because um, Sacre is a product that manifested as a result of the friendship that was cultivated with Carlos at the University of Miami. But the two other institutions where I, I garnered my uh, bachelor's and uh, doctor of philosophy degrees were done at the University of South Florida. And so for them to recognize me, I got the call and I said, do you realize that this to me is even more important than the gravity that I just want, <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, and, and, and the reason why is because, you know, I have a strong history there, not just in terms of academic studies, but uh, my mom uh, did a master's there and, and a doctorate and two postdocs, you know, in, in medical sciences, immunology, transplantation, I don't know what else. I mean, she's got more letters than, than the alphabet soup you know, <laughs> attached to her name and she's an outstanding immunologist. But, um, you, you know, and, and, and she did her work there and after school was me going to this, the College of Medicine and, and exploring these laboratories as a little kid. So, you know, uh, I grew up there. So for them to recognize me, it, it's, it's a family, it's a family celebration, definitely a family celebration. So how to win a Grammy, Jose? <laughs> Can you condense it down into yeah. something that <laughs> I'm being attacked here? Have you ever had Absolutely. A, have you had a dog, Jose? Yes, I had a lab, a black lab. Why do their breath why is their breath stink all the time? Oh, God. I don't I don't know. I'm being attacked yeah. at the moment. <laughs> I know, I can see it. Cute dog though. Yeah, she just well, my question is, do dogs bark? in 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 differently than american dogs like do they have do they have the british accents is there a british accent bark oh yeah or is, or is the bark the same it's well i'd be able to answer you if i could get away from it <laughs> she's attacking hey you are loved you are loved by that dog so can you encapsulate it for the yeah the normal person like myself from the humbles Jose of say 10, 15 years ago to the still humble Jose now, how do you win a Grammy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you 10 points. 10, it had to be 10, didn't it? Had to be, right? So I'll condense it, like seriously, all right? Um, <laughs> and I will make a disclaimer that that this is not a recipe that is, that that is going to guarantee a win, right? This is just uh, my post-win evaluation assessment, if you will, uh, of what can put you in a position to maybe perhaps be considered seriously, you know. But it's not even so much about ten. It's not ten suggestions to convince people. It's ten, it's ten suggestions to change your approach to creating a product that will uh, garner attention of a, a larger 
community, hence an academy. Uh, the first suggestion is do less. Uh, I think it's important. If, if you take on too many projects at once, um, you're not going to focus on one project uh, as much. And, and being able to, from, from, the, from the creative standpoint, the content creation of, of that project, whether it's a composition. By the way, that is, the also, that is also the other wonder. It's, I've submitted albums, I've been nominated for albums. Yeah. You know, uh, an album, it's a commercial break for a second. And they received nominations, you know, projects that have 12 songs, but the thing that won was just one song. So it, 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 back to the, maybe I didn't need a commercial break. This really just strengthens my argument for it. It's not about how much you are creating that's going to convince. It is about the beauty and the depth of the product. And so in this particular case, uh, you know, I would encourage you to do less as the first suggestion, suggestion number one, do less because then it'll give you more time to focus on developing something that is just so undoubtedly and utterly um, human that it really connects with people, whatever that product and endeavor it is that you wanna do. The second suggestion is to understand the difference between being productive and being busy. So it's a perfect segue with, with doing less. And you know, one of the things that I did is I decided even in, in what I did with my social media was going to be um, more productive in, in uh, promoting and sharing. I would say more sharing than the words promoting or campaigning. Of course, those are things that I did, but I approached it from a sharing spirit. And so, you know, hence productivity. And, you know, I, it's so funny because I still did work on other projects, but, you know, my heart and this message was done, uh, what was, was for Sakre to the point that, I don't know if you knew this, but I made my cover photo on my Facebook, the Sakre artwork uh, cover for, for almost a year. So, you know, you start wondering, wait a minute, after a year of visiting Jose Valentino's page, did it reach the subconscious? Where did it compel you? So that by the time you actually heard the piece of music, you know, it, did, did it do something for you? So, you know, there's different ways of, of uh, engaging in productivity versus busyness. And not always does productivity mean that you actually have to work at something. Sometimes you just activate something and let it do it by itself. For example, like my vacuum that, you know, just kind of goes around that AI vacuum that seeks, seeks, uh, dirt everywhere around the house like i don't have the vacuum no more it's still being productive <laughs> yeah right so that's the second suggestion um do uh be productive not busy this the third suggestion is engage in pre-grind clarity so making making sure that you take time to just pause it's it comes from that mindfulness spirit you know um making sure that you actually stop doing and just start thinking taking time to revitalize to recoup because those moments of meditation and, and just uh, just clarity, clearing your mind is just so important. And so, you know, I wake up sometimes uh, on specific dates extra early and I look forward to making that cup of coffee and just being on the couch and just chilling with, you know, not with any intention of trying to be productive because that is a form of being productive. It's just making sure that you stop and you start thinking and not with any intention of how can you make your business better, but letting your mind 
wonder. There's a saying that I that that I that I recently kind of created, which is we must be ruined for the ordinary and obsessed with the pursuit of wonder. And you can only do that with a cup of coffee by yourself. So <laughs> I would also say, you know, with suggestion number three, engaging in pre-grand clarity is learn to compartmentalize the differences between unimportant tasks, important tasks, and urgent tasks. Um, suggestion number four is how is your music or your product, your service, whatever it is that you are doing, you know, in this case, uh, I did a composition, you know, uh, it's important for suggestion number four to globalize the service. So I, in, even in the narrative, the, how it was communicated, I made sure that I, it had a theme. We made sure that it had a theme, Carlos and I, that resonated with people all around the world because the economy is comprised of people all around the world. Um, suggestion number five is to become a solutionist, right? So it, it, in that message, of Sakre, you know, we wrote it with the intention of it not just to remediate the needs and and to resonate with the heart of musicians, but non non expert musicians, uh, you know, just music enthusiasts uh, who are other of other professions as well. I also noticed that uh, this particular project, at its core, is just a flute and a piano. It's traditional, if you think about it. That is one of the traditional elements. Of course, the way it's played is in a very contemporary context, hence the category. But it, we didn't need a lot of technology, you know. It, it's it, 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 the foundations of the of how we constructed the composition is at its it, it, it's old fashioned. It's building relationship. It's co-composed, so we have to have relationship. It's sticking to a flute as opposed to like putting extra effects on the flute, which not, you know, not uh, downplaying that in the context of contemporary classical or contemporary music, there's beauty. But, you know, uh, when you listen to Sacre, there's, there, there's no extra makeup, if you will. There's no extra tools being used. And, and these tools, you know, they're people that play, that utilize them <laughs> in a way that I, I don't know that I could ever uh, utilize them. They use, utilize them so brilliantly as an as a you know to help reinforce their authentic voice. But for me, my authentic voice is just the instrument itself. And you know, in, lately in in um, several albums, I've been um, utilizing more of the ethnic flutes that I have. Uh, you know, and so. Uh, I like to say, choose the red pill, not the blue pill. That's a matrix reference. And I say that because that's my sixth question is, is, you know, detach yourself from technology from time to time. It's this principle of techno moderation that is, um, you know, a brilliant scholar named Louis Almeida, also a dear friend of mine. He's like the leading scholar of that principle, which is like, I'm, I, and, and I would like to tell you, I'm all for technology and, and, you know, utilizing artificial intelligence just as long as it doesn't sacrifice the humanity in the products and services that we do. So uh, that's my sixth suggestion, choose the red pill, not the blue pill. My seventh suggestion would be to embrace cross collaborations and within that cross generational. So how does the music reach cross generationally? How about cross culturally? How about cross genre? and also cross communication. 
So the highest level of creativity being delivery, um, a creative process being delivery, how we deliver the product itself. We made sure that we communicated uh, in a variety of different ways, you know, not just uh, putting it out there on social media, but engaging in conversation with people that, you know, um, with people over the phone, over email, just making sure that, uh, you know, video chat that we explained what the significance of the piece is so that they could at least consider it, you know? Uh, suggestion number eight is generosity over transaction, right? Uh, throughout this process of the Grammy season, we were just employing what we believe in, which is, you know, be generous, be kind. Don't treat people like a transaction. The currency of entrepreneurship is generosity. Suggestion number nine would be quality versus quantity. What is the question and the answer? This is suggestion number nine. It's actually employ both with authenticity. So we stayed true to who we were, even in the very construction of the composition itself. There's moments that while it's all notated, uh, it sounds very improvised because and it's, there's moments where it sounds jazzy, percussive. Those are attributes of who I am. Uh, I, you, you notice the piece of, of um, in the piano, if you know anything about Carlos, Carlos allows people to express who they are. And that's what makes him an outstanding producer. He gives you the moments to shine. And then moments where you wanna relax, he'll support with something that is just brilliant. And, and, uh, and, and uh, he's very, also very fascinated with the pursuit of wonder and, and, and likes to explore and convey that through his piano playing. So being authentic is just as important as as producing something of quality and making sure that it is distributed in multiple ways, hence quantity. So we have the recording, we have the, you know, the composition that was released in notation, the, the composition was released with uh, interpreted visual art, the composition that was released in the, uh, as part of a bigger album, which featured the city of Prague Philharmonic. It was actually Carlos's, uh, uh, you know, uh, freshman classical album. So, um, and then the last thing I would say is observe your contemporaries. You know, the same way that Dizzy Gillespie did with uh, Miles Davis and Miles Davis did with Dizzy Gillespie. These are two outstanding uh, contemporary artists who played the same instrument, even played the same genre, but approached it differently. And then eventually um, approached their careers in different ways to meet different, the, uh, different needs. Um, Miles Davis is arguably one of the pioneers of the genre called fusion, which in the history books like to describe as jazz with rock. And he did that because there was a generational gap that he noticed. He wanted the youth uh, to understand the beauties of jazz music and vice versa. He wanted, uh, you know, the, the, the older audience to embrace this new, the new generation. So he had, um, his advocacy was one that met, uh, that met a generational gap in society. So, um, which is, if you think about it, is one aspect of, of dimensional outreach because dimension being the study of time, space, and matter, he addressed specifically time, chronology. You know, you have this generation and you have this generation, rock for the youth, jazz for the middle-class audience. And then you have, of adults, you know, at least the way he packaged it because they had their tuxedos, they had their suits, they were playing for an audience. It, it became much more refined during, uh, or I should say not refined, it became a product for 
a, a, a an upper middle class, you know, the the jazz, um, which is why he had so much success. I mean, the, the best selling jazz album of all time is kind of blue, but that was Miles Davis's mission. On the other side, you had Dizzy Gillespie, which he employed the other aspect of dimension, which is space. So he was more concerned with regional um, understanding and unity, which was why he developed the United Nations Orchestra, um, you know, which ended up winning a Grammy itself and recruited musicians from different parts of the world and created different albums. And, and he even served as a US ambassador with that particular program to be able to engage in cultural diplomacy. And so two artists, they just happen to be African-American trumpet players who are of the bebop tradition and just love music, but had different missions. So your overarching question is, how do you win a Grammy? My 10th suggestion is observe your contemporaries. Don't try to emulate somebody else's mission. Meet a need that is authentic and true to your life experience and something that you feel like you can actually contribute to. And those are my 10 suggestions for how to win a Grammy. And they work. Because we're, I haven't, I've no, I, <laughs> <laughs> I've known you for years and years and years and years longer than than we probably both care to admit we've we've known each other and I know that you analyze everything so in other words you learn your life you're a life learner and you've won you've won a Grammy but you would also would have segmented how you won it and the most beautiful thing for me today talking to you is to understand the fact that you compose this with Carlos as purely as a composition. It was wasn't meant ever to be win it to be able to win a Grammy. It wasn't there. <laughs> it was not ever meant. No, no, never meant. And is, isn't and there? Isn't there? Have we approached it like that? It, it, there, there might have been a level of superficiality. Yeah. You know, and and uh, how can we? advocate and, and or how can we engage from the marketing standpoint of this piece in, in in you know for the pursuit of of acknowledgement when we're promoting a piece that is talking about the preservation of that which is sacred it, it, it causes us to ponder the piece itself causes us to ponder reflect and and to preserve those things that are long-lasting and meaningful and you know um Winning a Grammy was definitely not in in, in 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 the list of those things that we constitute as sacred, you know? Uh, perhaps maybe the approach towards winning, um, it, you know, and, and strategies that are employed, you know, if, if anybody listens to this message and, and aspires to, you know, compete, maybe these principles might be constituted as sacred, um, you know, for how they approach competition, you know, and the food world is very competitive, right? And so, the thing about this uh, this competition, by the way, is it's not just the flute. You know, I, I mean, I competed. I mentioned about the uh, this year's competition specifically. I mean, it was an array of ensembles. You know, which one of them was actually uh, a, a concerto um, featuring an alto flute, by the way. So, you know, and I, so they they. they Think about it. I mean, it was a lot of work and, and just it was really immense. But I'm I'm glad um, that I'm glad that that this message is 
um, being acknowledged because, you know, all those other pieces I imagine um, are meaningful, you know, at the end of the day, it is just a competition, but, you know, uh, I imagine that the reason, once you reach that level, you know, of nomination, uh, I think there are some unspoken variables, that, at least that should stay true to everybody that is nominated. Um, and that is that beyond the quality of the production and, and the audio engineering, that the music has a message that can resonate in such a way that has demonstrative impact, um, you know, uh, in the in, within the currency of society. So, well, on behalf of all the team here at TJ Flutes and all our listeners, Jose, congratulations, my friend! You've been nominated many times before for a Grammy. You've won the Emmy, but there's something special about this one because of the simplicity and complexity as we've already said, but also the the fact that you put it together as a genuine, authentic piece of music, which when people listen to it, please understand the narrative because the whole piece comes together. And yes, it, it starts off contemporary. And yes, there is these jazzy influences come in. But the, it, what it does is it allows you to draw your own message, providing you understand what that narrative is. And what you enabled us to do is to listen to it, go off in our own little directions based around the story and then come back to almost a conclusion at the end. So I would just like to say, well done, congratulations. It couldn't happen to a, a more rounded and self-effacing man. And, uh, you know, I just, and again, thank you for taking so much time out of your day. I know you've got to look after Luca for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Luca and also uh, my beautiful wife who's pregnant. We have a daughter coming. At the you end of do. Me. You do. You're not going to tell anybody the name yet, are you? I, that is still up for discussion, but Ooh. quite truthfully, uh, you know. Who's going to win? Wife, who's going to win? My wife is always going to win. <laughs> my wife is always going to win. And you know what? I'm a better man for that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Not to mention, my wife, you know, was just so important. And I think our wives, you know, um, Carlos Fernando Lopez's wife is also an outstanding pianist uh, named Laura. And um, she even had some works that were being in consideration for a nomination. And, and, but the support that we both have from uh, our, our partners, um, I think, you know, is, is crucial. Maybe that is the 11th, if there is an 11th. The 11th suggestion for how to win a Grammy is make sure you're surrounding yourself with the people that will empower you by believing in you and also willing to tell you the truth. Because there were many instances where in my moments of um, sharing the piece, um, more technical terms, marketing the piece, I made, you know, uh, narratives uh, to support, um, you know, the sharing of, of, of uh, the video. And I consulted with my wife to make sure that it didn't sound in any way arrogant and that it sounded heartfelt. And so she was my, you know, uh, script editor for sure. So 
I can't add any more apart from saying lots of love to you, Jose, to Courtney, to Luca, and to your little daughter that is there kicking away, waiting for the day when her beautiful dad can play to him. Oh, man. On that note, can I end with a, a, just playing? Oh, I'd love to. I know you've got the flute there. I'd love you to. Yeah. What are you going to play? Uh, I'm going to play uh, an improvisation that will be, you know, more compositional in nature than, than flashy and improvisatory in nature. And uh, yeah, it's just, a, we, we're in 2021 right now. And, and a lot of people uh, in the world, you know, we're very excited for the end of 2020. And it, now it just seems like it's a continuation. So, you know, uh, this is just gonna be a little quick melodious improv um, with the intention of uh, just trying to bring a little bit of encouragement um, to their day as they go on with the craziness of this year and also not lose hope and just put a smile, uh, you know, throughout your days. Maybe that's the name of the title, a smile throughout your days. Thank you so much for listening this week and thank you once again to Jose Valentino. Claire is up next week with a fascinating Talking Flutes podcast with the wonderful Elizabeth Walker talking about everything Baroque and old flutes. So until then, take care, stay healthy and may your low C be especially resonant and in tune. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.